welcome to the 86th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Poncho by Delve Interactive. Danny, who are you and what do you do? Uh, hi, so I'm Danny Hayes. Uh, I am the designer and coder for Poncho, uh, and that's pretty much been my life for the last three and a half years. Three and a <laughs> half years. First yeah. of all, I'm going to say this, and I say this to most developers on the show, uh, apart from ones who are coming on for Kickstarter campaigns because the game's not finished yet. But for you, sir, yeah. you have finished a game. You've finished. Yeah. You and your team have finished a game. That is a monumental and an extraordinary thing. Well done. Oh, thanks. Because <laughs> that's not, not, no, people, people don't understand. It's really, really hard. It's really hard. And I, I, it's to, to finish the game. To start one, I'm sure you started a fair few in your time, which I'm going to ask you about now. Because how did you start making video games? Uh, I actually started when I was like 18. Okay. Um, at that time, I was like, I was pretty sure I wanted to be a writer or something. Like, I didn't even really know you could get a serious job in video games. Um, I mean, not that you could get a serious job as a writer, but like, yeah. Well, um, screenwriter or author and novelist and... Oh, yeah, I know, but like, the chances are like super small. They are tiny. But, like, um, yeah, so one of my, uh, friends just turned me on to this, uh, sort of game engine called RPG Toolkit. Mm-hmm. And it had like this basic scripting language and stuff. And that was my first, and I made a few sort of tiny personal things. Um, it's pretty, it's a lot like RPG Maker, but like less refined. Um, and yeah, I made a few little games and that sort of that, and that got me started. And, uh, then I went on to C, went to university. Uh, that's, 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 to, that's quite a leap, Danny. I've got to say it. You went yeah, from oh, a, sorry. Tool, a little modding tool to a full-blown, like, compiling language of hell. That, that's quite a leap. I mean, there was a... Yeah, well, I just, I just... It was pretty much just a case of I googled, like, what programming language should I learn? I mean, I know a lot of developers get asked this question when it's just on Google anyway. It's like, what what should I do to learn, to learn how to make games? And it's like, well, just it's there on Google. You've already done it. You just want... Yeah. And there's so many times, like... Even like questions of developers and people like asking and answering this question, like it's or whatever, like it's all over the place. People still ask it though. But yeah, I started Googled it. C was the number one, um, at least at the time. It still is for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so I went and learned that, um, studied computer science and video games at uni, and then I started working at Capcom Mobile. Okay. Um, and there I worked on. Okay, yeah. What did you work? Yeah, yeah. I can talk about. I can talk about it. It's not. Okay. It's not as cool as I thought it was, or that you think it is. Uh, no, so I'm just curious what you worked on. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so going in, I thought, oh man, Capcom. This is like I couldn't be more lucky getting like my first job. Like, what cool things to work on? Devil May Cry, Resident Evil. It's like no, you can work on a Farmville clone based around Snoopy, <laughs> Snoopy the dog, and it's like uh, okay. Okay. So I worked on that for like two and a half years. Um, and that was okay. I mean, like it was a fun studio and everything, but like the games we were making just weren't so great. Yeah. Because, um, you know, there were Farmville type clones like Freemium stuff. Um, and, the, you know, there's a few other games, but they're all based around Snoopy the dog. 
Yeah, it's it's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Because I've seen when when he said Capcom, my brain sort of a bit brain fucks. So I was going to make some reference to something a, a mobile game that a major developer has used um, one of its like IPs on for a mobile yeah. game. And I was about to say this word. I thought, oh no, Chris, you got the wrong wrong. I always pair these up. I shouldn't. But it's actually Namco Bandai because they did Pac-Man Two Five Six, yeah, which is an <clears throat> awesome game, um, and uh, I, I, it's quite—it's it, not quite as good as Crossy Road though, but it's made by the same people. Um, yeah, yeah, but that that kind of thing is great. Um, but uh, no, I I struggle with free-to-play games on mobile. I can't do it. I'm old, you see, and uh, I can't deal with buying things in the bits. <laughs> I just like, can you just like pay for it and then play it? <laughs> so that's and that's the I, thing. It's like you have to pay to win in a lot of these things. And it's like you can play, but it's like, you know, the whole point of the game is almost like psychologically trained. You go, come on, you're not stupid. Pay five dollars and you can get this special thing now yeah, rather than right. play for. Yeah. yeah. The problem is, um, the back of my mind, psychologically, I, I sort of counter it. But it's just code. Why am I paying for code? I mean, it sounds sorry. It's no offense to yourself or your colleagues at the time, but it's like, oh yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's code. It's just numbers. So yeah, I, I mean, can't think, like all the people working there, like they're all cool, creative people that like the same kind of games I like and have cool ideas about stuff. But like the people upstairs, the bosses, you know, they saw that freemium games are making money, so that's what they were ordered to do in a way. So mm. maybe a, a waste of potential from those guys. But like, um, yeah, and while I was there, I made a couple of iPhone games myself, like terrible first games. They weren't any good, and they're not on the store anymore. I did all the art, quote unquote, myself. Right. And I'm not an artist, so. Okay. <laughs> they, they didn't do so well. Um, but that was just kind of like first games I made in like a week or something like that. Um, but yeah, and sort of. Yeah, so while I was working there, sort of in my last year, I started working on Poncho. Uh, and that actually started um, with me and my partner, Jack O'Dell, who does design and music with me. Um, right. Well, he does all the music, he does design with me. And uh, we're trying to figure out what we're going to make. We're not going to do a stupid little iPhone game. We're going to do a proper big indie game and throw everything we've got at it. And uh, we didn't even have any kind of concept yet. We hadn't even had a proper brainstorm and uh, one, one day he just drew this little pixel art character of a robot wearing a poncho. And he had a backpack back then as well. And I just thought, that's such a cool character design. I don't, I don't care what game we make, but it's going to be about this guy. Why? And Why is he wearing a poncho? Not that i got anything against ponchos? Yeah. At all? It's, it's pretty much just because we thought it looked cool. <laughs> like that, it, doesn't, it doesn't have any... Like, it doesn't give him power or anything. It's no, just it like, that's the only thing that sort of stands out about him, so that's also his name. He doesn't have a name, really. It's just, he's called that because he wears a poncho. Yeah. And then we named it that, just cause it just felt right, like, to call it that. It's yeah. probably all I can really say. Like, that's just how we felt about it. I mean, that, that's quite <laughs> history. How do, how do you feel about, I mean, I know you recently started making games, relatively recently, compared to other guests yeah. on the show, but um, I've got to ask, how do you feel about the the barrier of entry to making video games lowering and lowering. Um, because I always ask this developers, what, what do you make of it? I mean, it's not legacy uh, thing, is it? Or maybe it is. I don't know. I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, as long as... But the problem is there is a lot of bad games getting through. Like, Greenlight yeah. hasn't really worked. Steam Greenlight hasn't really worked. Um, there's so many games. But there's one quite famous one. I think there was an article on Kotaku or something about it. It's like this... 
game, and it just uses like pretty much all Unity assets, and it's like some kind of it's set in like you play inside a plane. Oh, I've seen and this. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. And you just see the you just walk around, and that's like there's like nothing to do. No. That's it. And they got through green light. I don't know how they did it. Don't know how. I think it might have just have been one of the first games to go into green light, so therefore maybe it was more likely to get through or something like that. Yeah, I think. Too I think there's definitely a whole slew of games that shouldn't get through green light. Yeah. Although they're talking about getting rid of it, the whole green light system. Which... They are, aren't they? Yeah, but they've been talking about it for a while now. I wish they. Just... Yeah, like, like, we talk about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, like not making a third game of anything. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, just, yeah, it's just a question I've got. I always ask developers, you know, like, how do you feel about Humble Bundle giving out Game Maker for peanuts? Fine, that's okay. You know, um, there's been some great games made using that device, that system. <clears throat> Many developers. Yeah, I mean, uh, Risk of Rain was made uh, in Game Maker. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, I've I've never actually used it. I use uh, Unity for everything I do now. So you'd um, you'd be using C Sharp, not Plus Plus, then? Or am I wrong? Yeah, I'm using C Sharp now. So I had to learn that a few years ago or whatever. Is it very different um, from C Plus Plus? Or yeah, it's pretty different. It's pretty much like C Plus Plus, but it holds your hand. Like, uh, there's a lot of things you do in C Sharp. It will throw an error in Unity, but it won't crash it. Uh, in C++, it will crash it like the slightest mistake. <laughs> uh, well, it's very Microsoft of it, then. C Sharp. Yeah. <laughs> C Sharp holding in the hand. Like, here's a blue screen of death. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah, so, it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, the next um, question. I, to, to, to frame this question, it can be a bit glib and it's hard to answer i try, I try to narrow it down for you but as a creator of video games what do you find um that you keeps you going what, what influences you as, as a creator of things do you think uh i think just cool ideas mm-hmm. like um just i mean the main thing i want to do in making video games is doing things that no one else has quite done before or at least do things in a different way that makes it unique so like Poncho, we were trying to think what what could we do that makes it special. And me and Jack O'Dell were talking for a while, and we were thinking we used to play uh, Sega Mega Drive games when we were young. And that was like our first console, and it's pretty much all side scrolls in that console. And you'd be walking along at whatever level, and you'd see hills and mountains in the background, but you can never actually go there. So I thought it'd be cool if you could just press a button, and then sh- you're straight there in the background, and you can play in that area. Um, and that's always been kind of the thing that's mainly kept me going with Poncho. And as it's grown and started to visually look pretty cool, like just every now and then, I mean, there'd be months where I'd be looking and be like, I haven't made a good game. This is awful. What am I doing with my life? And then maybe I'll take a break from a couple of days and come back to it. It's like, oh yeah, I've made a pretty good game. It seems it's difficult when you work on something like you kind of get blind to it. But I think that's the main thing. Just like knowing that I'm working on something worthwhile, uh, it's just yeah. coming out of the idea, I guess. That's, I think your description of the parallax scrolling, as it used to be known, or maybe it is still known as, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Shadow of the Beast did it on the Amiga way back in the day, and uh, I think they released it on Mega Drive. I can't remember. But anyway, um, you're right. You sort of, it's, it gives the impression of things moving faster in the background, and well, slower in the background, sorry, than, than yeah. the foreground. And it's like, ooh, isn't this exciting? Look, it's got depth of field, even though it's not real. Whereas yeah. with Poncho said, actually, no, it is. 
And now, rather than the scenery, you've got to study it. We'll talk about yeah. that later on in the show. But, uh, okay, so mm. you just basically, you latch on to, and it's quite obvious from Poncho, but maybe it's obvious from your previous experience in making good games, is that you go, well, that, that's a really cool idea. What universe thing can we anchor around to make that into a game? Is that probably the best way to describe it? Oh, you mean like uh, sort of the, the lore of the world and stuff like that? No, no, not specifically about Poncho, but I'm thinking about the creation process. You latch on to a concept, an idea, a mechanic, a thing, and then you just build around it. Yeah, I mean, like, first thing you do is prototype gameplay. So yeah. at first it was just three uh, blocks, just the three layers that you see through most of the game. Right. And you could jump around between them. That was the first prototype. Right, is this um, going to work? It wasn't animated or anything. Is yeah, we have to check that out first before we start doing anything else. And then we flesh out the story, uh, characters, uh, you know, ways we can sort of max out the whole plane shifting mechanic. So there's things like six layer levels, levels which switches between 2D and 3D and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously uh, the moving platforms that move between layers as well. Indeed, um, yeah. There's so much fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, who do you most admire in the video game industry, company-wise or person? I don't mind. Any, any particular uh, people you go, point to them and go, keep doing what you're doing, please. Yeah, I think my two main heroes would be Jonathan Blow, uh, uh, known for Braid and mm-hmm. The Witness, and uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, who did uh, the Final Fantasy series up to, I think he left during 10. Uh, I can't quite remember. Um, after 10, it didn't seem to, Final Fantasy hasn't mattered that much to me. But like, uh, yeah, he's one of my big heroes. Like, I was a massive Final Fantasy fanboy growing up, and that was like my main thing. Uh, on the PlayStation 1. Um, so, yeah, I guess those two guys. I also like um, Edmund McMillan's work. I'm, I'm mainly just indie game kind of stuff. Like, I'll latch onto any cool indie game, really. Okay. I mean, it's quite interesting to talk about uh, Final Fantasy. You're probably right. Things changed a bit for the worse after after 10. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What, I mean, 10... I, d- I don't know exactly what it was. I think 10 was definitely the changing point. Mm. Like, that's where it started to, like, be a bit less than it was, in my opinion, anyway. I mean, there's, you know, there's a whole lot of people that would rage on the internet about me saying these things, because everyone's got their favourite or whatever. They do, they do. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, that one just had, I think it was the voice acting, really. That's probably the main thing. Like, if it's, you know, if you're reading, and it's, you know, a video game that spans, like, three or four discs, like Final Fantasy did, uh... You know, you're reading like a few novels worth of text, and just like reading a good book, you know, you kind of make up the characters in your head in a way, even though they're rendered on the screen for you. It's, mm. But you know, when it's voice acted, it's like, oh, I didn't realize that character was Scottish or whatever. That's not <laughs> how I pictured him at all. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of like uh, it kind of takes a lot out of the character. There's a bit of um, takes a bit of the imagination out of it, which. I don't know. I mean, it's like voice acting can be really good, but it has to be done very well for it to really work compared to text, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. But people are lazy, so that's all people do in, like, AAA studios now. Mm. That is, that's quite uh, quite telling. But, I mean, I've it's, it's been sticking on Final Fantasy a little bit more, but it's quite interesting how people are, your, your favourite one, and most people's staple is seven. 
But I know a fair few advocates who actually say nine. Uh, yeah, mine's my favourite seven. Nine is my second favourite, and then it's six. <laughs> I go through a list. I do know people. Uh, a lot of people, yeah, there's so many people who are very much like, no, that's definitely not the best one. Yeah, They're all good. They are. I do think seven's the best. <laughs> I do know people who've gone through the odyssey of playing one through to X number that they just stop at. Um, because yeah. you, can, you can do that. You can actually do that now, which is kind of cool. Um, you can get the collections on PS1 and stuff, but no. No, yeah. good answer, good answer. Yeah, people need to uh, know how that came to be. And the fact that it's called Final Fantasy means it's like, this is our final game, it's not going to happen. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a fun fact about that. I think the, the, the game they made before that was called Rad Racer. Right. And it didn't do, it didn't do that well. It made it like, it was, it did okay, mm. and the company was like in real trouble, uh, Square or whatever it was called back then. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm not sure if it was called Squaresoft before it became Square Enix. I think it was something else back then, but I'm not sure. Um, and the, you know, the idea was we've pretty much got enough budget to make one more game, and if it doesn't work, then you know the company's done. So they named it Final Fantasy, and then they made you know over a dozen sequels for it and spin-offs <laughs> and whatever. But more than that, <laughs> probably twenty odd games now, isn't it? I've lost count. Yeah, I think like twenty five. Like there's all the you know, 3DS and mobile type stuff. Yeah, and it went off to... They, they made a tower defence game on... It was on, like, 360 arcade and stuff like that. I like Tactics. That was a good game, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Tactics was good. It was good. It's got to be said. One of the better spin-offs. Now, this being a video game podcast, I am by law, apparently, to ask you this question. I know, sorry, but it's kind of what happens. What are you playing right now? <laughs> Oh, what I'm playing right now. Yeah. Uh, I found myself, um, I mean, I've already completed it and stuff. I've, I recently, I've just been playing Dungeons of Dreadmore, uh, uh, which is a indie game roguelike that's quite, quite expansive. Um, I play mainly indie game type stuff. Um, sometimes I'll play, uh, sort of match based games like League of Legends or whatever, as terrible as those games are, but also good. It's difficult to say. As long as you don't look at the chat, it's a good game, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm more of a Dota player myself, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, try, I tried a bit of Dota. Again, this is like a internet rage topic, like Dota versus League of Legends. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I could care less. You know, I find it's something I ask developers about MOBAs, and we can talk about other things you've been playing as well. I mean, I'm a big indie game fan. I'm playing Rebel Galaxy a lot at the moment. Um, but yeah. um, just. What is it about MOBAs where they have... There's lots of design problems with them, in my opinion. The biggest one is the shop. You know, you have the yeah. shop of all the upgrades you've got to do, which you have to select in, what, three nanoseconds? Otherwise, yeah, you're going to so, let... Yeah. So, so I played... Um, I played uh, Heroes of the Storm, which is the Blizzard MOBA. Mm-hmm. And there is no shop in that. It's, it's, it's very much like a casual MOBA in a way. Still, right. It still feels quite good. Right. But uh, it's the only one. Oh no, no! I know my favorite. My favorite one is actually Smite. I've been playing that. Yes, we've had um, them on the show. Lovely people. Great game. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I I just got. I I think it's it's ahead of Dota and League of Legends and the rest. It just feels so much cooler, in a way. Like you're playing as a god and you've got a third person view and you have to actually skill shot everything. So it's like every move has skill rather than just a few and it's. Uh, I don't know, it just feels quite fun 
And it's the only one that I've played and haven't been told to get cancer and kill myself. So that's a plus. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, it's just, I mean, that's the other thing about those games is that, yeah, there's design flaws, but also, you know, here's these communities that rely yeah. on new players to, to, to keep their game alive, yet they despise new players. Yeah. <laughs> you make no sense. You need people who have no experience in this game to get into the involved with it in order for your game to continue to exist. But you despise them, and yet one point, yeah. at one point in your life, you are similarly inexperienced. Do you know what empathy means? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure they do. They're just they do. scared that they'll go down one rank point yes. because you died within five minutes or whatever. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you didn't know. You you were told to go to the top, but you decided to go mid. And you had no business being there, apparently. Anyway. <laughs> I, do, I do remember the... I did try... I tried League of Legends, like, years ago. Like, uh, like several years ago. The first time. And I, play, I played it and turned it on. Before. I've been hearing about this game. with see... That was my first time I played them over. I, tried, I turned it on. And, you know, total noob. Like, didn't know what was going on. Didn't know what to buy. Like, or anything like that. And I was just dying so much. And yeah. the amount of, like, abuse I got in the chat was ridiculous. I played one more time thinking that was a fluke and the same level of abuse yeah. in the chat, like swearing and uh, death threats and all this kind of stuff. And it's yeah. like, okay, I'm, uh, this is just, I uninstalled the game because it was just like, this is not the kind of thing I want to get into. No. But when you're like busy as a developer or something like these kind of games, you can just play for 20 minutes and that's your session done rather than have to commit to something like Bioshock, which I quite like. Yeah, um, or contemporary like that. Current thing now is all oh, Fallout Four. Yeah, I, and I want to get it. That's yeah. the thing. Like, I, I don't. You know, it's like those games. They boast 100 hours of gameplay, and they just there should be a disclaimer, like with a little asterisk in it saying like 40 percent of it is walking. <laughs> <laughs> nice view, though. I actually, I'm one of these people. I'm not going to do the PC master race thing, which is a horrible phrase. I shouldn't say it, but I actually you only play Bethesda games or, or you know Fallout stroke. Um, uh, Elder Scrolls games on PC because I like the draw distance. The yeah. draw distance is really far. <laughs> and on yeah, PC, I, I always play on PC as well. Yeah, not, well, or, or Mac. Or Mac, or a device that's not a, not a console. Not anything against consoles. Yeah. Um, far from it. And uh, just to have that distance, that draw distance. And it also, the added bonus is it's not crashing every 20 seconds as the console versions are. Because yeah, because they can tap. Yeah. yeah, and they can patch it immediately. Right, as you know, with Steam, it's literally it's like with Poncho. If I wanted to change the name of the game to I don't know Sombrero, <laughs> I could I could literally just type that in, and in five minutes it would be up, and everyone would be playing that version. Like it's it's that quick. There's no there's no real process. Whereas you know on console, you have to go through certification every time. You have to pay a lot of money if you know um, unless you wait a while. To do a patch, like, there's a whole lot of bureaucracy tied to it, and it takes too much time. But, yeah. Um, but, well, yeah. <laughs> it, um, this is one of those things, the nature of the beast and the nature of, you know, the, the people who have the, the, the control over those consoles is, is quite fierce, because they, they're, they're, they're desperate, knowing that their console was, was nothing without software, but they can't have buggy software on their machines. Yeah. Okay. So... That's the uh, first I'll this, it's what I thought. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Um, so that's the end of the first half of the show. Well done. You made it through. 
Uh, and now we're going to go on to the second part, where we talk about culture. known as the zeroth question. Yes, it's an Asimov question. The zeroth question is this. Tell us about Poncho. Uh, yeah, so Poncho is a game about a robot who wears a poncho called Poncho, who live, who wakes up in a post-apocalyptic world where humanity's gone extinct, and he has this dream where he's set on to find his creator, his father, and possibly if he does... Uh, they might be able to bring humanity back. And you explore, it's kind of, it's kind of open world. You can kind of go pretty much where you want, like left or right. Um, and you can move the main mechanic of games that you can move into the backgrounds and foregrounds, um, shifting. And it's not like, uh, like in other games like Rayman or Age Odyssey, like, you know, you'd have to go for a specific door and it's like, oh, cool. You're in the background. You literally press a button in this game and you can shift, uh, into a different plane anywhere. And it opens up a literal kind of depth of exploration, which I think is cool. But that's, yeah. that's the main purpose of the game. It's yes. It's exploring, platforming, and puzzle solving. That's right. It's it's basically a one minute, if it's the foreground, next minute it's, no, that's your play area now. Or yeah. it's the background, and no, that's not your play area now, because you just moved to it. Um, yeah. The first time I kind of saw that, uh, similarly to that, would be Little Big Planet. Um, yeah, and it had a little bit of that. Um, my my criticism against Little Big Planet is the controls are too loose and floaty. Um, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I agree. Like uh, we tried to make it make Poncho as snappy as possible. Like you literally press a button and it's literally you snap into the foreground or background. It's very instant because a lot of the gameplay requires uh, quick thinking. Um, and Little Big Planet is like you have to hold you you know, hold down up or something and eventually float into the right bit of the background and then you can push this block and then come back to the foreground kind of thing. Mm. But that game's also, like, 3D. So, in you know, in a 3D game, you expect to be able to press up and go forwards in a way. Yeah. Um, so it didn't seem, like, as, as much of a kind of court mechanic. It was mainly about sort of cool little creative platforming in a way. <laughs> It was, um, yeah, but um, I just found the controls too not tight enough. I mean, I always say to developers, like I, I can say anything to them, but I say, you know, when they're making a platformer, I said, so how many Mario games did you play? Because <laughs> they're really, really good platformers. Yeah. You know, uh, um, any particular favourite Mario games before we move on to the technical question? Uh, I didn't know. No, not actually. I mean, the, the main inspiration for... Like trying to get the controls right in Poncho wasn't actually Mario. It's Super Meat Boy. Oh right! Like the, con- yes. the controls in that game are like I've never played a game with better platforming controls. 
Yes. Like, it's like, it's the only game I've played where I've died and I know it's my fault, not the games. Like, there's so many other platforms you play, it's like, but I press jump. Yeah. Like, that's the worst thing. Yeah. Or, or pressing up for jump. What are you doing? What, uh... Yeah, pressing up for jump. Hate it. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Terrible. So, first technical question. Here you go. It gets really difficult as we get on. Poncho sticks to the concept of paradox scrolling and demands the player moves through these planes quite frequently and very, you know, fast as well. How difficult has it been to prevent the player from becoming disorientated? Uh, it's definitely gone through a few design phases. Um, so there's little thing, there's little touches we do. So, um, for example, the layer you're currently on, like lights, like the contrast sort of changes. So the, light, the layer you're on lights up and the rest darkens. So you can kind of see the depth perception and you can kind of tell, okay, that one's not on my current layer. I see that. So I'll go over here and then I can shift over there. Um, I mean, the, Probably one of the more difficult things was just setting up, uh, stopping the player being able to shift into solid objects, uh, which requires, cause, you know, it's like, it's not just whether there's a solid object there, it's like there could be one in the back, you, know, you have to check the foreground and background at all times and in the small space around it. And, you know, to make sure it's, uh, kind of more intuitive, like, instead of it being pixel perfect, like, okay, I'm not gonna check straight back this many units in the z-plane is there space there oh no there's one pixel blocking okay you can't do it so there's like a little it creates a little radius and then puts you in that radius to kind of make it feel good in a way um and there's other things as well like uh you know layers in the foreground that you've got like a radius of transparency so you can see where you are even if you're behind things so it's almost like you go behind something it reveals more of the level which i thought was always cool yeah. Just like, there's lots of little things like that to try and make it feel as good as possible. You see my point though, because when I first started playing Poncho, it's quite difficult. Oh god, I need to go here, then here, then jump through, then, then there, then, oh god. <laughs> and that, that, yeah. that, that was my worry is that as I was playing it, because I did play it as a demo at, I think it was Resed earlier this year. When I first oh, right, yeah. stumbled upon it, and I thought, oh, this We might have met, I was there. <laughs> yes, we may well have done. Um, uh, I, I go to I go to Resden packs and stuff like that. I don't do E3 anymore because yeah. LA. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah. uh, it's it's um it's it just struck me as like oh god this is like you can actually run into depths of field rather than just being uh, um, an imagined plane. But then I thought, well, yeah. how are you going to keep track of the way you are? Because I find really in one of the things that enabled me, and you did a great job of the learning curve. For, there's a phrase, learning curve for 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 Poncho, is that you can jump, then move into the next plane, and then drop into another area at a higher level. Yeah. And I do that a lot um, to get myself out of trouble or to get to areas that I thought were inaccessible. Um, so yeah, that's really really cool how that happens. So oh, thanks. My next question. Um, is concerns balance really? So yeah. it's a platform puzzle game. You know, I don't like sort of simplifying it, but ultimately, I believe that yeah. the the case. Although it's, it, it rewards exploration hugely, actually. Um, yeah. But there's a big reliance on timing and seeing yeah. the depth of world constantly. You don't just see left and right, but also what's in front of you and what's behind you in the depth of the screen. 
How have you struck the balance between challenging gameplay versus frustration? Uh, well, mainly, so there's lots of things with that. So uh, there's no game over screen. Like, if you die, you respawn right wage. It's not even at the beginning of that, but you respawn, like, you know, within, like, a sh- very short distance of where you just died, usually. Yes. Um, so it's like you're right back there. You can give it a go about having, you know, the frustration of seeing a loading screen or something afterwards or losing lives. Um, so there's that. Um, also, like, almost every puzzle in the game is optional. So, like, if you don't like the look of something, like, uh, like there's in the second world, uh, the forest, the first thing you see is, like, this big, massive shifting blocks that are moving in and out. That's quite daunting, daunting, and you can try going to the right and climbing up these stairs um, that are shifting and go that way, or you can go to the left, um, which has like a slightly easier level. But it's more of a thinking level than platforming, and that's kind of how most of the worlds are split up. Like depending which direction you take, it'll be slightly more puzzly or more platformy, depending how the. I mean, this is the thing. Like the player doesn't know this. This is probably one of the flaws that I noticed um, afterwards. Like, um, is that they don't know different directions are designed slightly differently. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot of things. Like, there's it's just so easy to pick up and play, even if you do die a lot. I did. It's it's quite tough already, so I didn't want to add any extra frustration. I guess. No. But it's... the main thing is that there's no death, and almost everything is optional. I there's some aspects that I want to talk about, but I don't want to spoil anything because there's some things in there that deserve to be discovered. Uh, and I was going to mention something, but no, no, that's let's let that go, and people can discover. Oh, it. feel free. So, I know everything's on YouTube already. I'm sure, I'm sure. But listeners may want to. <laughs> listeners of this show are quite fiercely protective of things, and I get yelled at if I get a bit spoiler. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just concerning how the worlds are laid out. It, it, I, I gave me a. I put a smile on my face when I discovered it, but uh, anyway. <laughs> um, oh, right. The backstory to Poncho is quite sad. Uh, yeah. It's got robots pining for humans uh, yeah. and wanting them to return. There's some robots running around going, they used to be a tutor and now there's no one to teach. Very sad. Yeah. How did you install this into Poncho? How did it develop? Well, it's kind of... It's got a weirdly... Uh, philosophical tone to it, the story. I mean, like, it's this idea that, uh, humans are gone. Like, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic game. Um, and it's, you know, instead of everything just being dead, like, nature's sort of had a chance to take back the earth where everything's lush and full of life. There's all the, the world kind of feels alive with things moving around. And maybe that's because humans aren't around anymore. And, you know, it's rumored that they possibly caused the, apocalypse slash calamity in the first place um so all these robots have been left behind and they're all like each robot is kind of reflections of what i think about humanity i mean it's it's a classic man versus nature kind of thing um so yeah you kind of and there is a choice at the end depending on how you feel about things like uh so yeah i mean like there's um it's kind of just very philosophical, just very existential as well. You know, like robots don't really have a purpose anymore. So they're trying to figure out why they're here in a way, um, which I find interesting. And a lot of other people seem to find it cool as well. Yeah. As, as a fan of Asimov um, books, yeah. I've, um, I do find it fascinating. Like, well, what happens when we, when we're gone? Because, you know, 
I do be a bit philosophical here, but quite frankly, we're not that special. I know I'll fathom, but, you know, considering yeah. the vastness of space and time and the depths of time, um, I find it, you know, like, yeah, we're not that amazing, really. We've only been around for 200,000 years and the universe has been yeah. 13.5 billion. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's like a fraction of a second, you know, and uh, people, when you realise deep time that's, that's the phrase I like to, to say deep time is yeah. an amazing liberating thing like the fact that you know the earth is only four and a half billion years old the universe yeah. nine billion years of things happened before the earth was even formed yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it might actually it, can, it might actually come um, my girlfriend actually studied uh, philosophy at university Right. Um, so she's got all these books around. So yes. I was reading things like, uh, I mean, well, Freud isn't really philosophy, but I read some of his stuff and I read uh, Nietzsche quite a lot. Okay. And he was the guy that coined the phrase, um, I think, therefore I am. He did, yes. And, uh, you know, there will be, ro- there's a robot in the game, like the ones, the caps, like they can say things like, uh, I compute, therefore I am, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I like doing stuff like that. Like, I've taken a lot of quotes from, uh, philosophers and things like that are based around existentialism and try to twist them around in a kind of quirky way. And that's great because, you know, something else I said to developers on the show is that, we need more developers who don't have that much interest in Star Wars making video games. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just to infuse other cultural references. That'll be great. Thanks. And thankfully it's happened a lot recently, so that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's good that people are taking risks more and more. So I have the last question. I know, sad, all good things come to <laughs> But uh, it's been great. But this one I think we can wax lyrical about a little bit. There's an element of collecting items and completing what I call realms before moving on yeah. to the next one. That is, if you're, you're wanting to collect all of the things. Was yeah. this aspect of the game included to pace the player's progress through Poncho? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're referring to like the key door system. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, as you're playing through the game, um, you'll collect these coloured keys, um, red, blue and green, and they unlock corresponding doors that are red, blue or green. And the idea behind that was really, um, it was to encourage, the. I mean, the main theme in the gameplay is to kind of explore and check every nook and cranny for treasure, because, you know, almost every time you check behind something you didn't think you could go behind, and, you know, there'll be an item there for you. I mean, there's two unlockable upgrades in the game, but you don't actually have to have them. You can just play through the whole game without them. Um, so there's two new abilities you could get, but you don't have to have them. And uh, the key door thing was partly about pacing, um, you know, because because the game is set up in a way you can go left or right. So if you only go left, like the, throughout the whole game in each area, then you'll only see half the game. So that was, and you know, the game would be half as long and you'd miss a lot of stuff. So that's to kind of encourage the players to kind of explore every direction rather than just go through one direction every time and miss a lot of the world. But it's still optional, they don't have to. Like, you can still get through the game. Like, a lot of the key doors, you can um, sort of cheat them a bit. You can shift around them in cases if you're clever enough. Like, I've tried to make all the puzzles, like, have multiple solutions, which was difficult. But, like, it seems to have worked. Yeah, it's nice to know that um, the game is fluid enough and um, uh, open enough to say, 
Yeah, you can go down there. Go on, knock yourself out. What's the worst that could happen? You just die and respawn again. And that's really quite yeah, pretty much. It's just that whole ethos of... There's two ethoses, really. The, the, the moving of the planes between each plane, that's brilliant, because it just says, this isn't scenery, this is the thing you need to acknowledge. Someone put effort into making this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have a look at it. Oh, look, you, there's, there's a little tower. If you jump high enough, you might land on it. I did! Yay! And then you go on from there. <laughs> Um, no, I, I didn't find it particularly frustrating at all. But um, I do have to say that one thing I haven't mentioned the questions have run out of questions, but we've got a little bit of time. I want to talk about the visual aspect and the design. It is beautiful game. It is yeah. shockingly wondrous to look at. Um, so <laughs> well done to you because it's just jaw-droppingly fluid and fun and fast. Without, I mean, it's just, even when you're, because there are points where you're moving very very quickly and everything's going by in a blur in order to progress sometimes, but every now and again you can stop and rest. And there's so much going on that you don't actually interact with. It's just things crawling about. Um, Yeah. Fez had a lot of that. Things just crawling about. Just, you know, little bugs and butterflies and things. They're not, not doing anything. They're just there. And it just adds texture, doesn't it? It just adds something. I think a developer. Yeah, it was just the whole idea was to make the world feel alive. And we're so glad to have got um, Matthew Weeks as our pixel artist. He also worked on um, Freedom Planet, by the way. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh. So he's he's been terrific. Yeah, uh, it's just you know people talk about all oh, pixel art it looks all about sixteen bit. I said no, 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 no sixteen bit machine would ever be able to do what that is doing. <laughs> um, there's another game called Kingdom which you've had on the show too I'm not sure if you've seen yeah, it yeah yeah I saw that yeah that, uh, there's some similarities between the style not style but uh, emotion I get when playing both games um, yeah and that there's this, this, this it's just so rich and you could sit and just watch and listen to both games and be marvelled at them it's really 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 good and uh, yeah. like you know, when you see in most video games when you see something moving that isn't you it's probably going to kill you. Whereas yeah. that's there's been a lot of games now. I'd say a lot, a few games now that actually that's not always true. It's like, well, you just move up to it and like, there's no interaction, nothing. It's just there because it's a creature in the world just like you are, and it's just minding its own business. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I probably should have said this when we were talking about balancing frustration, but like, there's no enemies in the game. Like, oh. um, I really wanted the focus to focus on exploring. So. And making a world feel alive and worth looking at, not just trying to get through a level, I think is an important part of that. So, again, well done to you and your team. It's a fantastic game. Um, it's, uh, it's a real triumph in, in puzzle platforming, of which there are many, as you know. In fact, there was a while, a period where the, the, the indie scene was completely flooded by them. But... Um, Thankfully, that's sort of dissipated a little bit recently, and they've gone off to do other weird and wonderful things, um, which is great. Which is great. So, the game's out. Poncho's out on Windows, PC, Mac, and Linux because it's a Unity game. Is that right? Yeah, and it's also on PS4 and soon to come to Wii U and Vita as well. Yeah. How have you found working on the PS4? Is it? Did you do it, or did you get someone else to work on that for you? 
Uh, I did most of it, and okay. then I ran out of time because we, I was working on other, like the Wii U and Steam platforms, and we want, we wanted to get PS4 and Steam out the same day, so, uh, we got some other guys just to finish off, like, literally just the last little bit. Okay. Um, and they, they, were, they seemed to do a good job. Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, PS4 was definitely the easiest one. Just because it's got so much power, I don't have to worry too much about optimizing stuff. But Wii U and Vita, on the other hand, like Wii U is not, Vita is just, you know, I have to scale down some things, but it's fine. <laughs> but like, uh, Wii U has got that whole second screen and their certification requirements require to use certain parts of the gamepad screen and it kind of, it, you have to act, make actual choices in changing the design in some aspect because you have to use this second screen. Um, that's probably the most complicated one because you have to do extra code for it. But the other, those are pretty straightforward. Like, Unity's great at doing a lot of things under the hood. Okay. I mean, it's still plenty of work, but it's Unity. Okay. Um, I just want to know how you've been working with the new machines. I say new machines. They're not that new now. It's two years. Two years now. Wow. Two oh, it years. still feels new. Yeah. Two years. <laughs> Someone told me today that the Xbox 360 is 10 years old. No. No, yeah, it is. It's 10 years old. 360. Oh, there's a lot of things, like, I've been thinking about, and it's like, yeah, that's 10 years old. And I'm like, no. no. And it's like, look at this actor now. It's like, what? He's, he's not a little boy anymore. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> he, I thought he was. Like, I just thought about him, like, last week. He was a little boy. No, no, he's like 25, married with kids. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> aging. People aging around. Yeah. I mean, I remind people that you do realise the 90s was 20 years ago. No, no, I mean, really, it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Like, you know, it's the, the PS1. That was 20 years ago. No, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So, Danny, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, thank, thanks very much for sharing your time and your experience in making Poncho. We do wish you the best of luck with it and whatever future ventures you have. You're more than welcome to come back on to talk about those, whatever they are. Uh, I'm assuming yeah. you're working on something else. Um, uh, I, I've started something. <laughs> just, uh, just prototyping phase. Can't talk about it too much. Yet. I know. I know. But, um, no, I think it's in a, a wondrous time to be making and playing video games and, and tabletop. So I play a lot of tabletop stuff as well, which is. Yeah, so do I actually. Oh, good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good thing. Um, I think the personal touch and, uh, the interaction, face to face interaction is quite, that's what draws me towards tabletop. Um, I know you can do video games to a point, but I think uh, there's something more cerebral when you're arguing over some some resource on Terra Mystica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer and listen to the show, want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!